stay on the journey of learning, educating yourself, being more positive and realize there's never, you never get to being great. You just work on being great. And it's something we do for the rest of our lives. And uh, enjoying the journey is the key to being successful. You know, that journey, unfortunately, never has an end. So when you learn to love it, then it just becomes part of your life and what you do. And uh, that's true for anything you want to accomplish. You're going to have to learn to love the journey to whatever goal you want to accomplish or, you know, the transformation to the person you want to be. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 650. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Positive Productivity Podcast. This is your host, Kim Sutton. And for all you who are, well, coming back, welcome back. And you've heard me say over and over again that positive productivity is not about perfection. It doesn't need to be painful either, however. And this morning, I got to tell you, before I introduce today's guest, we have three inches of snow outside and the tornado sirens were going off as we warmed up for this interview. So just keep on pushing forward through anything the tornado siren went off. There was no tornado heading our way, but even with snow on the ground in Ohio, we get those sirens. But that was completely a complete tangent. Today's guest is Michael Green. He's a real estate investor and the host of the Flip Factor podcast. Michael, I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be on the show. I'm a big fan of uh, all your stuff, systems and everything are my thing. Oh, awesome. Michael, how did you get into this? Or actually, let's go back a little bit further. What was your childhood dream? I always love to know what people wanted to be when they were little. Well, when I was little, I mean, I, I think every kid thinks like firefighter, astronaut and all that. And I feel like I gravitated towards being in business for myself. I got in so much trouble as a kid doing stuff that obviously like selling candy. And the next thing I knew, like I could sell firecrackers instead. And the schools weren't real happy about that. So I got kicked out and got in trouble. And, and I feel like it was that entrepreneurial spirit that got me into a lot of trouble as a teenager because I grew up in a bad neighborhood, the projects, and wasn't a lot of positive role models of uh, so a lot of stuff I got into wasn't wasn't legal and it got me in like just you know it was rough for me as a kid i made a big change uh when i was around you know i got in trouble ended up going to prison when i was 17 years old for a few years and it was where i changed my life and i got an opportunity to be you know, funny enough prison was the place i got exposed to like some higher level thought processes through being having nothing to do i started reading books and first time in my life i read a book called think and grow rich your very you know popular book and yeah well i just the stuff the guy was talking about in the book i never had anyone tell me anything like that or really expose me to positivity or you know your ability to do anything you want i thought like the only way you can make money growing up where i was at was doing illegal stuff and because i'd never had anyone show me any different so obviously i went from reading that book to reading many others and just making a big life change and i got out and started doing flooring hardwood flooring like pretty tough job but you know, all, all someone with a GED and a criminal background could do. And I was more than happy to do it. And I decided I was going to be the best at that and make the most of it. And, you know, I ended up making a good living for multiple years, but uh, it ended up, you know, I seen someone flipping a house. I was doing flooring for him. And uh, that's how I got into house flipping. He I said, Hey, there's this free thing you can go to. And you, know, you see these all the time, but 10 years ago, they, they were pretty rare. You didn't see them that often. And a guy came out and he's like, here's how you can make money house flipping. And I'd watched every flip this house and every show like that still Today I watch those shows. I'm still very addicted to them, even though people think if you flip as many houses I have, like it would be boring. But I'm really a fan of house flipping. I love the design. I love the architecture. I just like everything about it. It's a lot of fun for me still today. You know, over a thousand flips in. Do you ever watch those shows and groan when they're making decisions? Oh God, I think that's probably the most fun is that I like, I have like dialogues with the TV about like, no, don't do that. No way. Uh -huh. Come on. You're going to lose money. So, and I know they're creating that as drama and it's part of why like I'm addicted to it because I, maybe it's the drama of them making mistakes and, but I still enjoy them. I'm not, and then I always take away a few nuggets of things that are really great ideas, but half of what they're showing on there has uh, been produced by the TV shows to make people entertained, but it's not really what house flipping is. I recently and I don't have a cable at home. So every time I travel, HGTV goes on on the TV as soon as I get into the hotel room. And that is part necessity, part entertainment. At home, it is never quiet. I mean, you heard the sirens before we started. 
literally when I try to get quiet, I get sirens. So when I go away, if I'm in a quiet hotel room all by myself, it's almost mm-hmm. scary. Does that make sense? Like a scary quiet? I guess it makes a lot of sense. I'm, I grew up in the city and there was no, always like sirens uh-huh. and cop sirens and just people around. And when I went out to the county and you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to love to have like a nice yard. Well, there was times at night where it was so quiet that I was like, I'm not used to this. This feels like. I've it's a deafening quiet, isn't it? It's like a horror movie. It's like usually yeah. when things start to jump out the woods on you. So yeah. I don't know. But you're definitely more at risk of danger where I grew up than living in the county. I just wasn't used to it. Like you said, you're used to always having stuff going on. Oh, absolutely. When I moved here to Ohio, I moved here from Westchester County, New York. So right outside of the city. And well, to anybody who knows Westchester County, I lived in the butt of Westchester County. I just want to make that clear. It was not like Chappaqua, $8 million houses. I lived in you know, the apartment buildings right close to the border of the Bronx. So we had the bus going by at all hours of the day. And I swear some days it was trying to see how close it could get to the cars just to see how many car alarms it could set off every single night. So moving from there to here and being able to get through the night without car alarms, because there were some days that those car alarms would not go off at all. Like the people would be two blocks up and they wouldn't hear their car alarm going off. But anyway, I know that's a complete tangent. I'm good at tangents. Anyway, so when I go away, I turn on HGTV and I just discovered this. It's not house flipping. It's, I think they're in Tennessee or Kentucky. Maybe you know the show that I'm talking about. And they, it's small town home renovations at an affordable cost. And it's, they have their nice Southern drawl. And I'm like, wow, I love this because so many times on social media, especially for entrepreneurs, we see these huge success stories that aren't necessarily an accurate depiction of the truth. But when I'm watching HGTV, I want to see opportunities that I could actually do with my budget, not just what's available in Southern California. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, absolutely. But I want to go back to what you were saying. Did you read Think and Go Rich did you say you read that while you were in prison? Prison library. Yeah. Great book. Glad they had some cool stuff in there. I found they had a lot of other great books too in psychology and I ended up reading all kind of, I mean, honestly it was uh, we all have like this time in our life. It's like uh, where we go from being a boy to a man or, you know, it's just where we kind of get into being an adult. And uh, that was my time, you know, and I think some people do it in college. Some people do it if they go to army or military. Some people don't do it until later in life. You know, it just really depends on, you know, it takes something hard in life to kind of push you into being, you know, you have to be tested essentially. It's like a belief that I have. And so those books were just the perfect time as I was going through that test of like who I was going to become really started to shape and mold me. And I, I loved them. And honestly, I still do today. I still today, I read a lot of books and really enjoy stuff like that. My, my library is getting really big. I want to apologize to you and to anybody else who has been in the prison system, because I know that I have judged unfairly because I haven't thought about the opportunities in the personal, well, the personal growth opportunities that many have while in prison. And I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you've encountered the stereotyping that we think, oh, you've been in prison. You know, I can't talk to you. It's a fair stereotype, to be honest. Uh, The recidivism rate is like 89% of people who go to prison, they go back. And getting out of that cycle is no easy task. It honestly isn't. I just... I realized the second I walked in the door, it wasn't for me and I wasn't meant to be that person. And that's just not true for everyone else. And, you know, I wish it was. And, you know, at any level, I hire people if, you know, in my construction part of my business, if they want to work for me, I never hold that against them if they want to change their life. But you're right. With the same time, though, I do keep a close eye on it. Even though I've come from the same place, I know how many people would fit right into that stereotype. So I have to be logical about it. So I totally understand it. Well, thank you for not being hard on me for my stereotype. I always feel bad for passing judgment when I know that there's other other ways that people could be. I mean, I could do the same about my husband or about myself, you know. And by the way, I'm 40 and I'm still growing up, but I was 30 before I was introduced to any type of personal development. And it's been a decade-long process, and I know it's going to last me through the rest of my life. It's constant growth. But I never saw that growth opportunity. I may not have grown up in the projects, but the way that I grew up, I thought that was the way that life was. 
you know, you graduate from high school. I mean, this was just how it was in my town. You graduate from high school, you go to college, you get a job, you have kids, you go to work every day, you come home, you live for the weekends and take it or leave it. That's how it is. You can hate your job. So what? You're making money, save for retirement and hope to die happy. Hope. But a lot of people are just living this routine, not thinking of the bigger possibilities outside. Who's there to teach us, really? It's great shows like yours that uh, you know really start to open people's eyes to the, the better quality life that we can have. Uh, we just don't, again, we learn from others as a society. We see what other people do. And uh, we're seeing more people now become entrepreneurial, start their own online businesses, mm-hmm. do podcasts than ever before. But even still, it's a very small percentage of the general population. Most people are, like you said, they're just following the routine that's safe. But honestly, when you start really thinking about it, like, do we really want to live our life? Do we not want to be the best version? of ourselves. And uh, yeah, I was so underperforming as a teenager. And then, you know, my twenties, I got better. And in my thirties, I feel like I started to hit my stride and now I'm in my 43 now. And, uh, and I've got, I'm really excited about the next 10 to 15 years, like what's possible. Did you ever imagine that it would just keep on getting better the older that you got? No, but it is. And no, I wouldn't have thought that because, you know, when you're young, you always look at older people and you're like, oh God, I never want to be like that. But now there's a certain wisdom that comes with age and, you know, there's a lot of cool benefits of being a little bit older, being in a better place in life. I feel like I'm sounding like a spoiled suburban girl, but compared to many, I mean, just look at how you were brought up and I don't know anything besides what you just shared, but compared to how you brought up, I were brought up, I had it pretty easy, right? But I think it's interesting, or I know it's interesting how we view quality of life as different as we grow. I mean, in my teens and in my twenties, I thought the more money I had, the better the quality of life I had. I didn't realize that quality of life was determined by so many other factors, most importantly, happiness, but I didn't realize that happiness was also contingent upon me and not the money in my bank. Yeah, because sometimes we caught up and I did this for quite a while where probably the first when I started realizing I could make more money and I could be an entrepreneur and I could like flipping houses. I spent the first six years flipping houses where I worked, I mean, every waking hour of the day because I just I was insatiable about growing a business. And I got to a place where I was doing 150 houses a year and and honestly, zero quality of life. And there was this big shift where my partner who was 20 years older than me at the time was like, hey, I don't want to keep going at this pace. I'm in my 60s. I know you're 40. And I'm just about three and a half years ago. And he's like, I want to do something a little smaller, more laid back. And we decided to split the company up in a you know very friendly way. We were best friends and still are great friends today. And we realized that there was a different way of doing it. And he actually kind of jarred me and calls me to take this different path. And when I went and started my own business and you know, uh, and got a great coach, an e-myth coach I was working with at the time, and he really started talking about life and some of the bigger picture stuff, I realized now I work about 15 hours a week and my income's double what it was when I was doing a lot more houses, but I have freedom. And it's the freedom that I think creates happiness, the ability to do whatever we want, go to Costa Rica. For me, I love going you know, traveling and doing cool stuff. And you know, just being able to do that is uh, that freedom. And, and I've seen people create that freedom with uh, 100K a year. They've just figured out how to live on 50 of it and save the other 50. And uh, having that, you know, two years, they got 100K sitting in the bank and you only need 50K to live. Like you very easily are in a great place where you're not worried about bills anymore. And you're not stressed out about, you're not living day to day like most of us do. Like, the, the like the credit card companies want us to. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but that's what you know. It's good for them if you're buying things you can't afford all the time because you know it constantly keeps you in that cycle of debt and you know having to grind it out every day to kind of pay everything off that you you've bought well before you could afford. Oh my gosh, I was talking to a certified financial planner yesterday, and we were talking just about that. And I've had family members who declared bankruptcy. And they had no problem getting a new credit card after they declared bankruptcy. I went through a lot of financial struggle with my first business. My credit score sucks. I've even shared my credit score on a previous episode of the podcast. But I can't, and I'm happy that I can't, get another credit card because I don't want to be in that trap. But I feel bad for the family members who did get, you know, who went bankrupt, got another credit card because the credit card companies are totally poaching on the fact that they know they can't file bankruptcy for another seven years. So yeah, let's help them rack up a whole much more debt and charge them 50% interest. 
Oh, it's a, uh, I mean, you talk about like the mafia and criminals. We think of criminals, but they're legal criminals. I mean, they are so smart in how they work things out. And, and honestly, getting educated about it is our responsibility. Like you said, you're starting to understand that credit is a trap. And, and honestly, I try not to use credit at all anymore on, versus like buying a house or a car, some of the big stuff. But, you know, little purchases, I hold myself back. And if I'm not willing to take it out of my bank account, I don't really want it. Most of the time we buy things and like we don't even care about it a month later and then we're paying for it for two or three years. Oh my gosh. I'm staring at a recumbent exercise bike with a laptop stand that I had the best intentions of using. And I use this tracking tool. It's called strides that, you know, I, I track what I want to do every single day. And this, this app never fails to remind me that it's been 110 days since I used my bike. But at the moment, it was like, oh, you know, I've got money and I can buy it. I want to go back though to the 150 houses a year. It took me five to six years in my business to discover that I needed to focus on quality over quantity. Would you say that the quality of your work went up at all? Or actually, maybe I should ask first, what did your quantity go to? How many houses do you do a year now? Right now, um, and because I was able to take a lot of the key team members with me, I'm doing somewhere between like 40 to 50 houses a year. But every year, I've been practicing exactly what you just said. I've been scaling down in order to profit up because I've, through wisdom and a lot of experience, I've realized that I can actually do less houses and make more money and create better profit margins and you know, and happier customers and just a happier way of doing business in general. So yes, every I'm working on getting down to 30. And this is a very contradictory thing that you hear in the house flipping industry. Everyone's talking about scale your business, do more houses. I've really been focused on making more profits. Like you said, quality over quantity and quality of profits, quality of product, everything. And uh, we can we can often do, I mean, I have students I work with that do 10 houses a year and they're bringing in four or 500 K in income off 10 wow. houses a year. And there's times where I've done 150 and brought in the same income. And uh, you talk about the risk of doing 150 required 16 employees, $100,000 a month in expenses. Uh, very stressful working every, you know, couldn't even vacation. Honestly, I was very, I couldn't unplug. I'd be reading books and listening to audio stuff at the beach. So it's it, much better lifestyle now when I'm not focusing on volume. Uh, it's just a trap that sometimes we get competitive and we, you know, we want to be seen as successful. And the one thing that did come with doing that many houses, I had a lot of people who were just really impressed by it. And it made me feel confident and good about myself. But I realized that that confidence that I was chasing and that validation I was chasing uh, calls me not to run my business as successfully. And it happened for me right around six or seven years also. So a little bit slower than you, but it's, uh, you know, after we've done business for a while, we realize, like you said, quality over quantity. So such a great, I love that. Well, what I'm going through the, a, it's like a part two, but it didn't take another six to seven years of that right now. And I had been committing to a lot of work. I was building funnels for a client. I was white, white labeling for them and I was getting paid a certain amount. They were getting paid double what I was and I was getting my cut. But I realized the amount of work that I had to take on in order to make what I needed to sustain you know, our cost of living was so much and I was just exhausted. And then it occurred to me, and especially because I started cutting back and I had time to actually talk to people. It's amazing how you can have so much work and you don't have time to talk and relate to people. Like that astounds me that it, it's just there. But anyway, I had time to talk to people and I realized, oh my gosh, people are paying four times what I'm getting paid. So I put myself out there and said, yep, this is my rate right away came in and all of a sudden off of one project I, I get paid what I was off of four previously and I can imagine and because I'm only having to take on one and I don't want to just take on one I'd like to take on two with that but I can put more focus on each person give them the quality that they deserve and I'm almost thinking about let's just say a kitchen flip instead of putting laminate countertops in I'm giving them the marble right mm -hmm. Because yeah. I'm not spread so thin. I agree. And I mean, it, I don't know if it just takes getting a little older and, you know, just seeing things a little bit differently. But once you start focusing on quality, it's everything. And in house flipping, just getting your systems down, everything you talk about, building automated systems and, and just these little small tweaks are, are 
create big dollars in house flipping. And when we're doing too much volume and we're doing too much at a cheap rate, meaning like maybe we're making 15 or 20K a house instead of making 40 or 50 a house, then we end up not having time to build systems out, automations. We end up like really bogged down with what I call low paid activities. And instead of working on our high paid activities. So a big part of how I only work about 15 hours a week is I only do super high paid activities that I know are going to make my business move forward. And and then I understand that the lower paid activities, as much as I like to control things and make everything perfect, I understand they're not that important. So if I hired someone to say 10 or 20 bucks an hour to do those for me, and they only did it at 65 to 70% of quality of what I do it, they're getting done, which is better than me taking on everything. And uh, this has been a hard shift for me because I would say naturally, Actually, I like to kind of make sure everything's going well. And uh, so it's hard for me to let loose of things. And uh, But when I realize I don't have to let loose of everything, I can actually keep the high paid activities for myself to do. Well, that's my 15 hours a week. And I really very much enjoy doing the high paid activities because I know how meaningful they are to my business. And this is true for any industry, not just house flipping. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that you hired an e-myth coach. I'm assuming, but I know assuming is bad. Did you read the e-myth? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I did. And I actually became an e-myth coach myself. You did. Yeah. And I, you know, just because before I was uh, doing house flipping coaching, my old partner would let me teach people how to flip houses because he thought I would, uh, you know, he was very, he had a scarcity mindset and he's like, well, we don't want to tell them our secrets and then we'll be creating our own competition. And, and uh, so when we split up a couple of years ago and sold our business, I was able to actually fulfill my dream of teaching people how to flip houses. But before that, for three or four years, I was able just to coach people in different industries that were not competing with mine. So it was awesome that I got to learn that. And the guy that I work with is actually like the first or second E-Myth coach from 30 years ago when they started the coaching program. So very wise, been around a long time. I mean, I'm still working with him today, three and a half years later. I had no idea that there were E-Myth coaches and I'm almost embarrassed, but I'm not because I know there's so many other entrepreneurs who have been around, if not longer than I have as an entrepreneur or as you have, who have still not read it. But I only read it earlier this year. And I've been, I've had this business for seven years and I talk about systems all the time. And I'm going through the book and I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have listened to all those people who were telling me, not just for the first couple of years of my business, but even since starting the podcast, oh, the e-myth changed my life. When you hear that a hundred times, you should probably read it. <laughs> Likely, <laughs> but I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I just wasn't in the place, right? And I have to admit, I read Think and Grow Rich, but at that point when I read it, I was reading it because everybody was saying it to, and I wasn't really ready to read it. And that might not make any sense to anybody, but I know I have to reread it because I didn't get out of it as much as I should should have. Well, when I read it the first time, that totally, it just was for me, it was something I had never been, you know, and I've never heard that type of positivity and just awesome high level thinking. And, uh, and honestly, I got very little out of it, but that little bit was so different that it just propelled me forward and got me moving. But I just read Think and Grow Rich uh, three months ago. And I don't know, it just did. I didn't even remember the book that changed my life because it just, I was seeing it so differently. So this makes a lot of sense. I believe you could read any great book once a year, once every two years and get a completely different, like learn more from it. We only retain about 15% of what we read anyhow, but uh, as you've had different life experiences, you'll experience the things that are being taught in that book very differently. So yeah, great books can be read all the time, like every year if you wanted to, and you get a lot from them. Michael, who would be on your mental board of directors? mental board of directors. So uh, I love, honestly, today, you know, how to win friends and influence people has just been great for me. So I, that book for me is uh, one of my favorites. I read it every six months. I also love the one thing. So uh, I have a hard time ever picking one person because there's so many good things that come, like little nuggets I get from so many things. So for me, it's all about just constantly staying involved and challenging my brain and learning from many people. Because I don't think any one person has all the answers, but they all have, you know, they help you get where you need to go. Absolutely. How many books are you reading right now? I try to read one at a time because I don't, I'm very ADD. So I don't do well if I'm reading multiples, I end up reading like the first chapter or two. So uh, the, right now, just one book at a time. And I, I go through one and uh, I'm actually switching to audiobooks over the last couple of months because I'm finding that I can consume them better uh, in my downtime while I'm driving or, you know, or maybe it's late and I can't, you know, read because I don't want to turn a light on and then be up all night. So I'm finding it much easier to consume audiobooks and for me. So that's, you know, personal preference for everyone. I don't want you listeners to worry 
because I <laughs> I tried, but it was horrible at it, and I realized it wasn't safe. But I also love audiobooks. However, I like to have the hard copies so I can take notes and highlight. And I admit, I was trying to listen and highlight while driving. Don't do that. Just don't do that. But I love having the notes and I love to take pictures of what I'm reading so I can share like the little blurbs that I find for people. My problem with listening to audiobooks before bed though is I fall asleep and then I have to go back and find where I was. But it's usually, I mean, it's not a horrible thing because who doesn't pick up something awesome when they go back and listen? But I was like, oh, I know I missed something and I probably still absorbed it subconsciously, but like, let's just read when we're awake. Right now what I'm doing, and it's been very effective and I'm finding that I'm retaining more of what I'm learning this way is I'll listen to everything at high speed, like maybe two X and uh, one time quickly and get through it. And then I go back and like you said, is I'll actually listen to it slower. I'll get the book, you know, and then take notes and really kind of break it down and try to retain as much. But the first time when we're hearing it, like you said, you're not ready for it. But when you listen to it the second time, it'll take on a very different meaning and you'll really retain and get, get a lot of the lessons out of there. I think I watched a, a YouTube video from uh, Eric Thomas and he was talking about like how he takes a book and he'll spend a month on one chapter and he's like people read through you know read 20 books a month but he's like you could take one great book and spend six months of your life mastering what's in that book and I, I don't disagree with it and I find that uh, that's what I'm trying to do more of lately like we talked about quality over quantity you know reading 20 books a month and not retaining anything is no no better than reading one book every six months but like taking all the lessons from it and really utilizing them and implementing them in your life. Mm, I had a goal this year. I wanted to read, I think it was 52 books, one a week. And thank you for just helping me realize that's another example of quality over quantity. Because the books that I've read at the moment that I've read them, and by the way, I'm not reading one book at a time. That's been a goal, but I don't, my kids misplace the book that I'm reading. But when I've gone through each book at that specific time, I may have 12 books finished by the end of this year. But I got exactly what I needed to out of each book at the time that I read it. That makes a lot of sense. You were doing hardwood floors or floor installation. You were working with a guy who was flipping houses. What was your first step to actually get into it yourself? So I I had thought about it for years. I mean, I had read books, watched TV shows, and uh, it wasn't YouTube back then. And uh, it was just anything I could get my hands on for about six years. I'm very analytical. So I was definitely in you know paralysis by analysis or whatever way it goes. I was just very paralyzed because I was just analyzing everything. And when I met this guy, he's like, go to this free kind of two-hour seminar. And you know, guy started talking about everything that like, he, he was just dropping stuff on me that made sense. And the books, you know, like, you know, the books were like a hard way of getting like some information, but never could you interact. And uh, so he eventually told me, Hey, look, it's 15 K to work with me, which by the way, I was a hundred K in debt at the time. So I was really broken, but he's like, no, I'll show you how to take all your credit cards that are maxed out and then extended credit lines on them. So, you know, I ended up putting about 7,500 across like five credit cards. And then he agreed to do a like $200 a month payment that I didn't really have. And, uh, and I just jumped in and honestly, it was the first time in my life I'd ever done anything like that or invested in myself. And so it was really scary because I don't think I'd ever even spent maybe 500 bucks on my education other than just buying books and stuff. I'd never taken any big, big like commitment. This was a year long program where I got to work with him. There's two classes every week in person. It was like a little university local in Maryland. So I love that concept. They would obviously do that online these days. But the biggest probably takeaway from it was that I two times a week got to go and be with other people who wanted to be investors, you know, speak with people who are already flipping and just being around that community was the key, right? It wasn't just what he was teaching me because he you know, honestly wasn't even the best coach. He wasn't even the best person that I had ever met. You know, he was a little bit of a character. You know, it wasn't known for his reputation, but there wasn't a lot, a lot of other choices out there at that time. So he was kind of the only game in town. But with that being said, I have a high level of appreciation because you know he obviously taught me some of the slick things he figured out and some of the ways things to do, not to do. But it really came down to being around the community for you know one year of my life, being around other people with the same ambitions. And yeah, I was able to you know like six weeks into working with him, I did my first deal and uh, I didn't have the money to renovate it. So he showed me how to take that contract that I'd signed and uh, sell it off to another investor. And uh, I did that for him and got 16K check, which was uh, enough to wow. pay off the program and keep a thousand bucks for myself. 
And, uh, and that obviously after that point, it all got real, you know, the six years of studying, the failing, the constant, like, you know, trying to do something. I mean, I went and seen 50 houses with a realtor because, you know, someone said that's what you're supposed to do in a book. And now we, we didn't get any of them. Honestly, I'm glad I didn't because I didn't even know if it would have been a good deal or not. So with him, he got everything clear for me and, you know, and him and the support of others around me was like the big kind of power move that really helped me get into the, you know, the flipping business. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. Michael, I'm curious, and I know this could be a, a trade secret, but you also said that you like to teach people. So in my area of Ohio, there have been, especially recently, a fair number of foreclosures. Are those, would you start at foreclosures if you were looking at getting into the the flipping yeah, I always start. So, and, and I share everything openly because honestly, what I've learned, the high level stuff that me and my partner didn't agree with, but I do is uh, you can teach everything you know to people and they'll still want you to help them implement it. And uh, so my coaching, I'm not, you know, you can learn most of what I teach online for free, but in the coaching, I'm actually holding you accountable and pushing you forward. And the first thing that anybody I work with when they're new is I work with them teaching them how to play in what we call the sandbox where it's free. You know, instead of saying, hey, I want you to spend $2,000 a month marketing you can go right to foreclosures, the MLS, courthouse steps, auctions. You can go to wholesalers. You've got a lot of people out there who are doing the work for you who can sell you deals. Now, there's a very specific way you have to do it to make that work. And uh, that is a longer process that takes usually about an hour just for me to get someone open to like the concept of exactly how to comb through the MLS and look for what we call five-star prospects. So as you look through 50 houses, there's one or two that are worth you spending your time on. And when you learn how to pick those one or two out, you can go see them and you have a good chance of getting a deal done with that and make, you know, getting a property that'll make you money. But you have to learn a few other things on top of that. So you have to learn how to walk through a house and understand exactly what it's going to cost to renovate it. You have to be able to look at the layout, which obviously I think would be easy for you with your architecture background. Uh, you want to know that like, okay, it's a three one right now, but if I move this, I can make a master suite and I can put another bed in the bath in the basement and I can open this kitchen up. Uh, so when you know that now, once you understand the layout, it's easy to put a line item budget together and you can do all that in like 15, 20 20 minutes once you learn the technique of it, even without any real construction experience, because I got into this, I knew how to do flooring, but I had no other construction experience. So everyone says, well, you were in flooring, so you knew construction. I was like, well, I knew one piece out of the 50 things you had to do. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, there's probably somebody that knows how to put a doorknob in, but that wouldn't make you a contractor. You know, you would have one thing that needs to be done out of 50 and that would be awesome. That would go well, but everything else was a complete mystery to me. So my husband and I bought our house now about a year and a half ago, and we lived here for three years before we bought it. We were renting to own. And there was a point when we weren't sure if we were actually going to be able to buy it. So we started looking around the town and we found this fantastic two-story house with basement. It was older, like 1910s, 1920s, huge grand attic. And you're in this space. I was an interior architect, but that does not mean I knew the structure and the bones. I just want to make that clear. It had, is it called knob and tube? Mm -hmm. And so I went to turn on the light and like the sparks fly out of the little button. And that was like my husband's first red flag. He's like, sweetie, we have five kids living at home. We will not be able to buy this place unless we move in right away. And with all the work it needs, it's just not going to be safe. And I know that's not, you know, what I'm talking about is not flipping, but looking at just replacing the electrical with updated and then all the windows. And it was a 
two, it had been a, um, a two family for years. So taking down all the walls and getting rid of the second kitchen, he's like, no. And the more we dug into it and finally get up to that attic and we find that there's been animals and I don't, don't even know what kind. I was just looking at the size of their poo, to be totally honest. Like, yeah, I think we're just <laughs> not going to do this. But I'd love to know what happened to it. The final for me, and as a podcaster yourself, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. When we're looking through the house, all of a sudden I hear a train horn going by. I had not realized how close the train tracks were. It's like, yeah, that's not going to work, at least not right away. I need to record podcasts. It's hard enough with tornado sirens, yeah. but with the trains going by, no, thank you. So did your podcast come about after you separated from your partner? Yeah, everything from coaching standpoint, you know, started probably like six months afterwards, because as my coach was saying, Mike, like, how are you going to give back? Like we, we quickly in like six month period, got the business working well, got me from, you know, 60, 70 hours a week down to 15, 20 hours a week and uh, really got purposeful about the like quality over quantity. And then he's like, okay, well now next level of this is how do you want to give back? What do you want to do? And I realized I wasn't a soup kitchen guy. Some people are, and um, you know, nothing bad about them. It just wasn't me. And we have to know who we are and but I had helped a few friends over the years, like really grow productive businesses, make money and kind of go from being like, you know, not very wealthy, kind of always struggling to having some financial freedom. And I told him I'd always dreamed about coaching, but couldn't do it with my old partner, you know, just uh, general, not using him as an excuse, but it just was easier once I was on my own to do it. And so we were like, cool, well, you can give back. He's like, you realize you can give back to people. And so I started coaching people for free and like literally taking one-on-one clients. I was charging nothing just to gain some experience. And then obviously I found that, you know, people need to invest a little bit of money to be serious. So I started charging just so that people would take the training serious. And then eventually it became a supply and demand thing. I'm still a lot cheaper than most coaches out there and I go way above and beyond, but the coaching business today is not a profit center for me. I've never even taken a check from it. So I'm probably one of the few people, but with that being said, I have to keep it really small. And uh, so it came the podcast and all the coaching came once I was free to do that. And uh, it's kind of what I spend my, after my first 15 to 20 hours running my flipping business, my free time is following my passion and my journey, which is helping others and giving back. And, and I've made that still my big thing. So I don't, I still make all my money from flipping, not from coaching. I love that. And I, I realized in uh, May, June this year that, so about six months ago for listeners, that I was giving away a lot of free time to one-on-one clients. And number one, it was hurting the clients who had paid because my focus was split and they weren't necessarily getting what they paid for. But the second thing I realized, and and keep in mind, I've had the podcast for three years now. The second thing I realized that while I was helping one person for free, I could have been creating content that was helping hundreds, thousands, millions, potentially. I have big dreams. And anything from videos where I'm showing a system that's working for me to creating a course or multiple courses, I have chronic idea disorder, Michael. I'm writing a book on it, but I have chronic idea disorder, so the book isn't written yet. And... So I I tend to do a few more things than I probably should, but I've been able to actually start building two courses that I had wanted to build for forever, and I'm going through the beta right now. But had I still been doing the free one-on-one work, which I'm not saying I won't do for anybody, but if I were still doing it, I wouldn't have that time in in my time bucket. I mean, I hear what you're saying. You need to prioritize. I mean, like you said, you can help a lot more people. And if your mission is to help, then, you know, like you said, doing a video that anyone can watch and kind of you're basically doing what you teach, right? You're automating the way you give back and you very much can automate that. Um, I found that I can automate a lot of the free content, a lot of like, hey, here's the system, here's how it works and give them a lot of the great stuff. But a lot of the stuff we do when people actually pay me is all about me pushing them across things that they're not getting through themselves and then holding them accountable to follow through because um, most people think, oh, if I just knew the systems or the secret stuff that Mike knows, then I'd be able to do everything. And what I found out over the years is that's just not true. Someone can give me the exact plan and then I have to follow it. And I think the greatest analogy I've ever thought about is like a diet, right? It's diets aren't very complicated. Eat less, eat better, uh, exercise more and you'll lose weight. And I don't know why we all struggle with it or at least me personally, right? Because it's like no fun to do. And uh, I kind of enjoy a cheeseburger and some gelato 
gelato and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to follow a diet, but it's very simple, but like there's a huge industry in making it complex and saying, well, you need this ninja way of doing this or that, but everything in life is, uh, having someone help push you through. Uh, so I think that's true with exercise. And I think that's why treadmills and bikes don't tend to get used very often because there's no one pushing you and there's no one there. There's no like, uh, personal trainer. The first time I've had any success is having a personal trainer who comes to my house three days a week and uh, he has the key to my house. So if I'm sleeping and I don't wake up, he walks in and pulls me out of bed, uh, which doesn't happen very often. But if somehow I, you know, my alarm doesn't go off, I'm not missing training. I've been working with him for three years now. It's the the only way I've been able to be consistent. Do you think there's something to be said though for the, for the fact that you are making that ongoing investment? Because that's why I feel like I'm not riding my bike. I already paid for it. But if I had to pay it on a daily or monthly or weekly basis for it to be here, then I would have to bet my butt that my butt would be sitting on it every single day. I agree with that because, you know, every time you pay it, it, it becomes front of mind, mm-hmm. right? And now you're paying it. And you're like, oh, man, I got to make sure I'm using that. I just paid the, the payment on it or I paid for it to use it. I think I just got another idea, which doesn't help anything. But maybe I need to have a bucket that I pay into if I don't use the bike every day. Interesting. We just joined CrossFit or something like CrossFit. And it's like 40 bucks a week. And uh, me, me and my girlfriend, who also works with me, and I told her, I said, part of the company, I'll pay for it. But if you don't go, you pay for it. And uh, she's like, she was a little afraid of that because um, she knows and I know that we don't always are always perfect with sticking with things. And uh, But she's like, no, I'll do it. And I said, all right, well, if you don't do it, then you'll have to pay for it. But I'll pay for it if you do. Uh, mm. Just, you know, because it's in my best interest, obviously, as everybody's in better shape and more energetic, we're more productive. Absolutely. I want to share something that's working for me, but first I have a question for you. As a coach, have you ever thought about coaching? Is the right word inmates when they come out? What's the what's the right word for after you get out of jail? I guess inmates. I don't know. I'm not that. So it's been over 25 years now. I just realized the other day that last when I got out, I was 21 years old and 22 years ago. So that's like a lifetime ago. So I guess inmates or, you know, I guess uh, ex-convicts or Mm -hmm. there's probably a million names for them. I've thought about it. I haven't found a way to do it. Uh, And I haven't found a way that's reasonable because unfortunately, you know, there'd be a very specific way. And I've tried to find a way to get involved. But anytime you start like offering yourself up to like free things, they have a very specific way. They like to do it, whether it's productive, whether it works. And, you know, you almost have to kind of spearhead it yourself and create it or you'd have to follow and i'm not great at following other people's stuff if it doesn't line up and make sense I, i'm not, not afraid to admit that like if they have a system and there's holes in it i'm really very good at like breaking things down making them very effective and getting results for people is like my specialty I like, and whether that's an inmate or changes so um, it is one of my dreams to do that and probably the other dream was to really help people before they go to prison so like mm. right, my mom actually has been working on and thinking about a way to take kids from you know uh, poorer neighborhoods where we don't have as many opportunities and start teaching them construction over the summers in our flips because uh, I personally believe construction for people who are not going to go to college is one of the biggest opportunities that exist today because we're getting so far away from anyone wanting to do any anything close to manual labor. A lot of my guys that work for me make well over 200 k a year doing electric, plumbing, construction, carpentry. They're making really good money. So if they're learning good ways to be a very profitable construction person, and most of the time they're not even swinging a hammer. They're just getting to help people do it. They're managing those people. They're, you know, they're learning the construction business. I think it's a great opportunity and I would love to teach that to kids and um, that, you know, don't have other opportunities opportunities or just don't have a lot of, you know, they don't want to go to college because there's, you know, not our college isn't for everyone, right? It's for most, but not for everyone. Absolutely. I'm going to have to look up who this previous guest was. I'm, I'm horrible about names, but I think this guest might actually be in the Baltimore area as well. Graphic design company, and he hires high risk high school students and teaches them how to do the design wow. and brings them into the business. And you know, shows them the greater opportunities. I'm going to, I'll refer back and I'll, I'll get in touch with you. I love how you said that you can automate free things. And this is just something that I set up in the last couple of weeks. And it's honestly not yet complete. But what I realized is that things don't need to be finished before they get started. That might drive some people crazy, but I have a 30 day work smarter, not harder challenge. And 
every day the person gets a video in my members area. But I realized right now, Facebook Messenger bots are really, they're doing really well because the open rate is something like 80 or 90%. So even though the people who opt in for this free challenge are getting a daily email telling them that the new content is available, I'm allowing them to opt in via Facebook Messenger bot. And then now they get a daily reminder in Facebook. And I'm loving it because when I see Facebook messages come through, yeah, there's some that I am subscribed to because it gets a little obnoxious, but reminding people, hey, here's the link. Go watch today's video. My inbox is the first place that I start slipping when I run out of time. And that's like the $10, $20 activity that you were talking about before. I should not be cleaning out my inbox. And I know that the people who need the Work Smarter, Not Harder challenge, their inbox is are likely a mess too. So let's give them an easy way to remember, hey, this content is here to help you out. Yeah, I love your concept because you're getting them away from the inbox and getting them into something that's a little more cleaner, doesn't have as much spam in it. Yeah. What is your favorite system right now? I mean, my favorite system right now has been just digging into profits. Uh, for many years, I just kind of flipped and did it. Uh, so right now, I have a system where every week I take a look at my financials, how much money I have, what money I'm going to need in the next 30, 60, 90, what, you know, what money's coming in. But then looking at the profitability of my flip, and instead of doing it well after the fact, I used to do it at the end of the year at my tax guy. Now, actually, when I'm like, say, I have a two-month flip and I'm two weeks in, every week I'm looking at like where we are, you know, how are we looking? looking against the budget. And uh, so having that financial system has been probably one of the biggest game changers for me because I love systems around finding deals and finding contractors and doing all that, but it really all doesn't make, it's for nothing if you don't understand the math because the math tells you what's working and what's not and where you should be applying pressure and where you should not be worrying about. And uh, so, but it's always been, I would say it's definitely been my weakness and it's something I've just gotten together in the last year, honestly. Michael, I cannot pronounce the guy's last name and the book is out next to my couch because that's where I was reading it last. I told you, I, I mean, I'm reading multiple books and I usually have one book per room, but Mike Micka, I cannot say his last name, Profit First. Have you read that? I read it. Yeah. About six months ago. And it was a great book and uh, yeah, great, great recommendation. Yeah. I just got through the, I'm um, to the charts. And when I was laying out listeners, you just got to read it. If you are thinking that just because you got paid, you have money to spend, think again. That's the trap that I was in for so many years, and I've seen so many clients be in it too. Oh, hey, I'm waiting for my invoice to get paid, and then I can pay you. Well, where are you taking out profit for yourself? Where are you taking out money for taxes? Like, hello? But I was doing that for years, and then at the end of the year, I look at what my net revenue is, and I'm like, oh, that's painful. Mm-hmm. Like, That's half of what I would have been making at my last job. I'm still doing it now. I mean, I'm upfront about it too. Like you, I don't mind sharing my weaknesses. Uh, I'm still working on it now, trying to get the profit first and I'm halfway there and it's made just a huge difference, even just getting halfway there. Obviously in uh, 2020 resolution and thing that I'm working on is to, to get to where I'm actually pulling my profit out, you know, putting money aside, squirreling money away because uh, I just don't like to do that for whatever reason. And uh, I have to get over whatever stopping me from wanting to be that kind of, you know, person that just takes a little bit here and there and saves it up. I mean, I know people make way less than me. They have way more money because Mm -hmm. they're so thoughtful of always taking like 10 cents of every dollar they make and putting it away and not touching it. You know, if I put it away for a bit and I I want a boat or something, I'm like, Oh, take it out of the squirrel fund. So I gotta, I gotta stop doing that so that I'm not, uh, on your show 30 years from now. I'm like, yeah, I'm flipping and it's great. Like senior citizen flipping and (laughs) because I don't have any retirement, so we don't, we don't want to do it forever. Do you know how to pronounce his last name? For profit first? No, because mm-hmm. I'm like you. I never remember names. I don't even, I couldn't even have told you his first name. I remember the book though. Okay. Book. Well, he's agreed to come on the podcast when I finish reading the book. So I better get the last name pronounced by then. But one of the things that he says to do is like start a profit account at another bank. And that's just, I'm like, really? So I have to go to another bank. So I haven't done that, but I am, I am pulling out profit. It's just, the rest of it. Taxes. I'm hiring an accountant and he can deal with that. I just don't want to see the money. I, I want it to come in, somebody to take care of it and tell me what the budget is for expenses. And that would be awesome. Yeah. You're basically, you're getting a true 
you know, you're getting a true picture of what you actually have to spend. And the problem is when we're self-employed is we get a bunch of money in our account and we think we're rich and, you know, we get 200 K in our account. We're like, Oh my God, I'm a millionaire. And of course I could buy this 15 K thing, but you know, time we pay taxes and we need money to run our business and invest in our next flip and all that. We actually are, could be broke at having 200 K in our bank account. If we don't have a true clear picture, uh, I love the concept and maybe uh, a hack to that would be doing like an online account or, you know, having a way you could transfer it to like one of those online savings accounts that is just not something you look at every day with all your other finances. Yeah, actually, I bank with a credit union. And maybe this is a hack for the listeners that they made me open up a savings account when I opened my business checking account. And it has to have a minimum balance. But I actually renamed that account profit first. So I take a, a that's where it goes to. And I just try my best to ignore what's in there. But yeah, Michael, I have loved every second of this chat, and I feel like there's so much that we could share even just about flipping, but where can listeners go to find you, listen to your podcast, find out about your coaching, and just learn more about you in general? Two places. Uh, one would be my personal email, which is mike at theflipfactor.net. And then you can go to the flipfactor.net website, which has all my podcasts on it. And obviously I'm on Apple and everything, but uh, we have all of our podcasts there and a bunch of free trainings and different stuff you can dive into. It doesn't cost a penny and you know, get a feel for everything we're teaching and doing some awesome kind of very high level concepts. Awesome. Well, listeners, All the links will be in the show notes, which you can find at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP650. You're episode 650. Can you believe that? Awesome. Congratulations. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Well, Michael, I would love to know if you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can share with listeners. I mean, I think a great piece of advice, obviously, is just, uh, and you mentioned this earlier, but stay on the journey of learning, educating yourself, being more positive, and realize there's never, you never get to being great. You just work on being great. And it's something we do for the rest of our lives. And uh, enjoying the journey is the key to being successful. You know, that journey, unfortunately, never has an end. So when you learn to love it, then it just becomes part of your life and what you do. And Uh, That's true for anything you want to accomplish. You're going to have to learn to love the journey to whatever goal you want to accomplish or, you know, the transformation to the person you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.